Hello and welcome to another episode of Journey to the Rise. I'm your host, Lucretia. In today's episode, we talk with Nick Baumgartner. He began as a poli-sci major with a deep interest in photography. His career path began with him working in a law firm, but he was a member of a photography club, Lisa Powers, who helped him find a connection that led him to an opportunity as a photojournalist. From being a photojournalist, life took him into a new direction of commercial photography, and from there, things just began to fall into place. This man has a wide variety of clients to his portfolio, and he talks about the importance of relationships and storytelling. It is clear that hard work and dedication has taken him on a path to success. So let's not wait any longer for my next guest to share his story. Please welcome Nick Baumgartner. Today, we are talking with a very successful photographer who has worked with ABC Disney, Anheuser-Busch, Dillard's, Blue Cross Blue Shields, Uber Eats. I mean, I could go on and on and so much more. And I'm so excited to be able to talk to you, not just this very talented, but very yet down to earth uh, man today. Nick, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Lucretia. Yeah, absolutely. So I like starting everyone off with the same basic question. Where did you grow up? Uh, So I was born in Owensboro, Kentucky, and I lived there until I was about 13. Uh, And then my dad's job transferred us to uh, Franklin, Tennessee. And then I've been kind of all over Middle Tennessee since then. Wow. And when did you start to get into photography? Uh, I guess I got my first camera when I was probably about eight years old. My mom's secretary gave her a... a uh, little Russian toy camera, like a little blue toy camera. Uh, and I took it with me on a trip to Fort Knox. Uh, took kind of photos all around there at the museum and stuff. Uh, didn't really think about photography too much for a few years. Then in seventh grade, I went on a band trip to Chicago. And I decided I wanted to like, get a camera to go with me. So I got like a, a Polaroid 35-millimeter camera. It wasn't like an instant or disposable or anything, but just a pretty decent little Polaroid camera from Walmart. Uh, took it up to Chicago with me. Had a blast taking pictures. Uh, then it kind of sat on the back burner again for a few years. Then uh, in high school, one of my friends got a D- or an SLR camera. I was like, that's pretty cool. I want one. So uh, instead of going to prom that year, I spent my money on a camera <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, kind of nerded out over the camera then. Uh, then in college, I got a little bit more into photography. I got like my first like digital camera when I was in college. I took a couple uh, classes in the darkroom in college at Belmont. Uh, and really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought I was going to college for like political science and history, but you know, I, I have made a degree in political science and history, but uh, really started liking this like photography thing in college, especially seeing like my prints develop in the dark room, seeing them come to life. That was really fun. So that's kind of when I really started getting into it. Yeah. Uh, and at some point, I decided that you know it's going to be my career. So that's awesome. And what made you want to go to Belmont? Uh. A lot of things. Uh, first, it's kind of close to home. Kind of grew up in Franklin, so I want to be kind of close-ish. Uh, and also, it's a small liberal arts college. Uh, I don't want to go to a big state school just because, you know, I'm a little bit more introverted. I didn't think I'd do so well in a, a big school. So I wanted a smaller school. I also liked the Christian values that Belmont had at the time. Uh, and, you know, it's been, it was a great school. It's a great experience. Uh, I got to know a lot of my professors. I'm still friends with a lot of my professors from college, so that's really nice. Uh, I just think having that smaller liberal arts curriculum was really important. So I could, you know, grow not just in one field, but I'd learn a little bit about everything that's out there. Yeah. So when you graduated and you have more of an interest in photography, did you go straight into photography gigs or like, what was that path like for you? Yeah. So kind of like, yes and no. Uh, when I graduated, I was working at a law firm. Uh, I was just like a, a mail clerk at a law firm, which paid very well for like a college job. Uh, so I still did that for kind of a few months. Uh, and then me and a couple of my friends started a little political organization. Uh, and I helped run that for about a year and a half after college, in addition to kind of starting freelancing at the same time. Uh, I decided that politics wasn't exactly for me because my, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, uh, she works in politics, and we're kind of on different sides of the aisle. I was like, uh, if I'm going to be super involved with this, I'm going to be pretty connected to it, and I'd, I'd care a lot more about it. And if I'm like out of politics, I'm like, I don't have to, to care so much about politics. Right. So I was like, what else do I like? And I was like, photography is kind of the thing that really kind of gets me going. Uh, so I decided I'd do kind of photography then. Uh, 
and you know, I was really lucky. Uh, I went out to like one meeting of the Nashville Camera Club. Uh, I met Lisa Powers, who does like landscape and nature work. Uh, and I went out with her one day to uh, a nature trail to photograph some snakes or something. Uh, and she happened to have a reporter from the Tennessean come. Uh, and I kind of like hit it off with this reporter from the Tennessean. And then she kind of connected me with Tom Stanford at the Tennessean at the time. And she kind of got me my first editorial gig, uh, shooting some photojournalism stuff for the Tennessean with uh, Tom Stanford. Wow. And how how long were you um, a photojournalist? Uh, I did that stuff for about a year, year and a half. Uh, and I kind of got out of it just because photojournalism at the time was really kind of starting to be in that kind of dying period. It's like 2007, 2008. Uh, Gannett, who owns a lot of newspapers, started closing a lot of the major daily newspapers that they had, especially the smaller dailies that they had, doing a lot of consolidation. And I was kind of like, kind of the writings on the wall for doing this, at least in Nashville. So I was like, well, kind of what else do I kind of want to, want to do? And that's kind of part of what led me to commercial photography. Uh, but I was out uh, shooting for the Williamson AM one day, uh, shooting something for Dickens of a Christmas. And uh, I had a brand new Canon 1D Mark III. Uh, and Michael Gomez came up to me. He had a brand new Canon 1DS Mark III. And we started kind of chatting. And then he invited me up to his studio. He's going to have a big test day. Uh, he had like a rep from Hasselblad, one from Phase One, one from Rolly, all up at his studio. Uh, and I was like, oh, I got to check that out. That sounds cool. Because like, you know, as a camera nerd, but I really didn't know about these big commercial medium format bodies and stuff. Yeah. So I kind of geeked out on the internet like for like a week or something before going up to his place and kind of figured out what they can do, what they can't do, uh, and had a, fun, a ton, ton of fun there. And I was like, oh, people have like real budgets for this. So he kind of headed me down that path. That's awesome. And with your photojournalism skills, do you feel that you still use some of that in your current commercial work? Oh, all the time. Uh, I think all photography is ultimately about relationships and relationship building and storytelling. Uh, and one of the things I learned in photojournalism is to build kind of what I call fast friends. So I can get to know someone really quickly, have a pretty intimate relationship with not a ton of knowledge about them, kind of ask a bunch of questions, kind of get us to a place where we can create some cool art. Uh, and I think that's something that uh, kind of I use in my work every day is, you know, kind of getting to know people, getting access or something you might not necessarily have gone in with access to do. So you're like, oh, well, that'd be really cool. Then can we do this instead? Uh, and that kind of question is kind of lead you down to the next step all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So you get connected with Michael Gomez. You get invited to this event at his studio. What was that experience like getting to know him and what opportunities opened up for you? Oh, it's a ton of fun. I, you know, Mike, I was really lucky with Michael. He kind of opened his studio up to me. He did it, does it for a ton of people. Uh, and, you know, he's like, hey, you know, come up, use my studio whenever you want. Uh, and I kind of did it. So, you know, he helped me use his cameras, his flashes. He helped me kind of get in with his network. So that was a lot of fun. You know, uh, I learned a lot during it, both positive and negative, things you should and things you shouldn't do in the career. But, yeah, it's, it's a really great experience. That's awesome. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have more from our guest, Nick, as he talks about the technical side of photography, something that he specializes in. I asked him for some details into this interest on the technical side, and he eagerly dove in. I think, it, one, it's just challenging. So, the, you know, I, I enjoy the challenge of it, you know, taking a good technical image of these things, uh, you know, especially it's like moving liquids, you have to figure out, you know, what does the flash speed need to be? Uh, you know, so oftentimes I'm not using something like an Alien B. I'm using something like bronze color strobes that have really fast T1, T5 durations. Have you noticed more and more people are dropping from social media? They are tired of being blasted by ads, by the nastiness that can be carried on endlessly with comments, accounts being blocked or deleted for no reason at all, and the reasons for people leaving and spending less time on these platforms continues. If you are only promoting and marketing your business on social media, this is not the best way to navigate your way to a successful business. But don't worry, I have good news. There is a way to reach your target audience. It's by email. Yes, email. Email marketing is not dead. It is quite alive and well. Businesses utilizing a smart email marketing strategy can increase sales, make connections, and deliver a message 
that will be more reliably received than depending upon an algorithm that continues to change. If you want to know more about how to grow your business with an email marketing strategy, go to girlbosscopywriter.com to find out more. Show your clients you are an authority in your industry by using visual storytelling with video, photography, and a content strategy package with Girl Boss Productions. A video series will help customers get to know you and allow you to build a relationship with people who want to support you. Using video on your website and in your marketing content, you can increase conversions by 80%. By enhancing your presence on social media and your website with updated and stylish photos, you can zhuzh up your marketing content. Give it a little je ne sais quoi will grab the attention of your clients and they will take more time to read your post instead of scrolling past it. Utilizing video, photos, and a content strategy all in one package will promote your business to existing and potential clients and help develop a relationship with clients who want to support you, which results in increased sales. If you would like to know more about how you can enhance your business with video, contact girlbossproductions.com today. To stand out on social media and the internet, for a business to grow, you need branding images that help express who you are and what you represent. Being a driven business owner, you already know your audience needs to see your brand show up on a regular basis before your potential clients will trust you enough to work with you. If your current messaging is inconsistent and lacks cohesiveness, then your customers will scroll past instead of click and look more into what you have to offer. With a branding photo session with Girl Boss Photography, you can tell your story through images. Utilizing those images in your marketing and content strategy will enhance your appearance and help build a connection to your existing and potential clients. Girl Boss Photography loves working with small and medium-sized businesses to help them build a strong visual brand. By partnering with creative entrepreneurs and listening to their goals, Girl Boss Photography curates a branding session that will tell the story of who you are, what you do, and how you are there to help your clients. If you're wanting to grow your business, improve your online presence, contact Girl Boss Photography to find out more about your options with their branding packages. You can contact them by sending a message on Instagram at girl.boss.photography today. Welcome back to Journey to the Rise. We continue our conversation with Nick and we get into the nitty gritty of food photography. There is so much to taking a good photo that will help sell the product whether that's a cupcake or a hamburger, and we get a little behind the scenes insight on that process. And so you're at the studio and you're working with this outstanding photographer. Eventually you got into commercial work. Like what made you want to get into the commercial side of photography? Uh, the biggest thing is going to be the money, honestly. Like uh, yeah. you know, photojournalism is kind of that dying thing at that time. It still is uh, dying a slow death. Uh, but in commercial photography, there's a lot bigger budgets available. We can work with bigger teams. We can do bigger projects, and it can be, I hate to say it, but more creative in a certain way. With photojournalism, there's certain things you're not supposed to do. And in the commercial world, you know, there's still things you're not supposed to do, but we have a lot less restrictions on us in a lot of ways. Uh, and I get to work with a bigger team. Uh, you know, I think I'm good alone, but when I have a team working with me, we can create a better product. And I can also spend more time on things. So instead of having to you know, get a few shots and run to the next thing, we can spend a day getting like eight shots. Yeah. And really create something fun and unique. And it is nice working with a team because you can bounce off each other and you can mm -hmm. keep that energy going. So I, I love that for you. And you've done a lot of food and beverage photography, taking photos of beverages, the reflective glass. It's, it's gotta be tricky because you've got bright lights. You have a reflective surface what do you enjoy about that? Because you've done it for so long. And what challenges do you face when taking this type of photo? Yeah, you know, the, the thing I enjoy about it is it's always a challenge. And it's always a unique challenge. Every different glass and bottle reflects and refracts light differently. And uh, kind of depending on the ice cubes you put in it and what liquid is, how dark it is, uh, that all, all makes a difference in the, kind of the way the glass looks. Uh, like the challenge of glass is just kind of managing those reflections. And sometimes we choose to highlight the reflections and sometimes we need to get rid of them completely. 
Uh, so it's knowing when to use you know, just a polarizer in my camera lens sometimes, or just one on a light sometimes, or cross-polarization where we use one on the lens, one on the light, and then mixing that with different diffusion materials so that we get kind of the right amount of reflection in the right space. Uh, and then kind of figuring out where to put lights. Uh, there's a bottle I light on a very regular basis for one of my uh, clients. And, you know, we, we don't have to use any tricks. We just have to kind of put the light in the right spot so it doesn't show up in our image because there's, like, one little spot that if you put the light in, it's going to light the bottle really beautifully, and you're not really going to see reflection that we care about. Wow. That's a lot of technical aspects. Do you Are you drawn to the technical side of photography? Yeah, I, I definitely like the technical side of photography. Uh, and I worked at Saks Fifth Avenue for, for three years, uh, and I had a mentor there, John LeMay, and he is uh, super, super into the tech side of photography, and I, I learned a lot from him. I kind of soaked it up like a sponge uh, the three years that I was there because he's just so technically proficient at a level I don't think I'll ever be. Uh, so it was awesome getting to kind of work with John and have that mentor uh, where I could learn a ton about the technical side. You know, not just, you know, oh, we need we need the light at this power, but it's like, well, why are we using this number of lights? Why are we shooting at F8 instead of F16? All kind of like the little stuff that's important. And, you know, I can kind of geek out over that all day. And that's uh, one of the reasons we haven't talked about it yet. I have a business partner, Chris D'Amico. Uh, and that's one of the things about that's great about having Chris around is kind of I can geek out on set and I can have him off to the side and he can kind of manage the client, make sure we're getting exactly what they want while I also kind of get my fulfillment of kind of geeking out over it, making sure the lighting's perfect, the reflections are perfect, and we're not just getting so-so images, but we're getting things that we can all be proud of. Yeah, absolutely. And do you have, you know, you're talking about the technical, clearly you love it. Um, you know, and I love techie nerds. You know, they, they have a brain that mm -hmm. I could just sit and, like, absorb all day long. So do you have a process to overcome these challenges that taking the photos of these reflective vibes? Because you don't just do glass and beverages. You're also photographing guitars, mm -hmm. jewelry. Like this has, it's just going to bounce right back at you. Um, and have you found overcoming these challenges is due to your technical knowledge? Yeah, I think overcoming the challenges is all about technical problems. Uh, you know, as, as a photographer, I think we're creative problem solvers. So my goal is to kind of go in and figure out how to solve the problem that my client has with good imagery. Uh, and, yeah, there's an iterative process we have every time that we go in to do this. You know, I, I typically have an idea of how something's going to reflect or not reflect, uh, and that allows me to figure out what process we're going to use and how we're going to change it every time. And I'll work together with my lighting tech, uh, and we'll figure it out in an iterative process. So we're going to change one thing at a time. So, you know, typically, even though I know I'm going to end up with, like, a polarizer on the camera or on the lens or I'm going to have a certain amount of diffusion, we'll kind of start out without that stuff. And then we'll figure out where the happy medium is of where it looks good versus where it doesn't. Because sometimes if you're, like, cross-polarizing, you can make the light start to look really weird and it looks unnatural. So you have to kind of figure out that point where we're getting enough good reflection, but we're not getting bad reflections. And it's just kind of a balancing act every time we do it. But, you know, there is a process we go through every time. Wow. And in one of your Instagram posts, you have a stemless wine glass and the wine is being poured in. And you talk about in the caption about enjoying the challenge of taking photos of products that move. So the motion and the technical challenge. Mm -hmm. What is it about? Like, that's not easy to capture. What is it about these challenges that's so appealing to you? Yeah, you know, I, I think, it, one, it's just challenging. So, the, you know, I, I enjoy the challenge of it, you know, taking a good technical image of these things. Uh, you know, especially it's like moving liquids, you have to figure out, you know, what does the flash speed need to be? Uh, you know, so oftentimes I'm not using something like an Alien B. I'm using something like bronze color strobes that have really fast T1, T5 durations. So we freeze that motion. And then it's kind of figuring out, well, you know, I need so much f-stop, you know, I need to be at f eight to get enough depth of field and then it's figuring out well on the pack to get the t1 time i want it has to be at i don't know a, a five power level out of ten and then it's kind of figuring out well how, how close does that light have to be how far can the camera be from it so we get it framed upright and kind of that iterative process of figuring out how we're going to make this look as good as it can so it's just kind of that technical challenge you know every time we do it it's a little bit different uh, and i just enjoy kind of working with it to get that image. And it's something that I think a lot of photographers don't have the patience to do. 
Uh, so I think that's one of the reasons why it's kind of a little bit more lucrative than some other branches in photography is, you know, I'm working with a team, I'm figuring out how the team dynamics, figuring out how we get the best image for a client in the set amount of time that we have. And it's just kind of a little dancing with creativity. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Like, as you describe this, this stuff takes time. Do you ever... Like, what's your time frame to try and get these? Like, because you have to haul in your equipment, you're setting up, you're trying to get the right mm -hmm. shot, you have a client waiting. Do you ever feel that pressure of, I've got to hurry this up? Or do you know that good things take time? Yeah, uh, definitely on some shoots, there is crunch time. You know, uh, we did a shoot a while back and it was getting to be almost noon and we hadn't pulled our first image. And at, at that point, I'm kind of like, hey guys, we've nerded out enough, uh, you know. I know, I know your product is very specific and exacting, but we do have to kind of get moving. So uh, I definitely feel that pressure sometimes. Uh, but, you know, the way, way I run, like to run things is that we run 10-hour days. Uh, so we like to get to set by 8, be out of there by 6 p.m. So I know it's going to take roughly an hour to get my setup kind of up and running. It's going to take a food stylist an hour, maybe an hour and a half to get food up and on on my, my set. Uh, and then I know it's going to take us about an hour to wrap out. So all that time in the middle is what we have to kind of play with, minus an hour lunch break. So, you know, there is a, kind of a little bit of a time crunch, depending on, you know, how many images we're trying to produce in a day. And that's one of those things kind of on the front end, we try and set our client expectations. You know, we can definitely say, hey, we can produce more images and less time if we have a lower quality standard. But if we have exacting quality standards, we might only get four images in a day. Wow. And what's it like to work with a food stylist? Oh, it's great. Uh, you know, when I started out doing food photography, I tried to do some of the food styling on my own, and I am a good food stylist. But at the same time, I can't effectively shoot imagery and also style food. It just takes too much time. If I have to go shopping and have to prepare it and then put it on set, it's just not something that's commercially viable. We can't get enough images per day with it looking good enough to create the type of content that I like to create. Uh, so having that food stylist there to, to go, go shopping, to, you know, some food stylists will also shop for props. If we can have them do all that stuff and cook the food and plate it and then put, put it on set, it, it, it's really a time saver and a, it's a money saver for our client. So if I had to do this all on my own, they're getting billed a significantly higher rate than they're getting billed by a food stylist to do essentially the same job. Wow. And how do you find a food stylist? Uh, networking, essentially. Uh, so the have a, about, I don't know, probably four or five stylists that I work with on a regular basis. Some of them have reached out to me. I reached out to others. Uh, find people on LinkedIn, Instagram, Google, uh, Facebook, through other photographers. Uh, just kind of looking out for people who I think could do the job as well. Uh, one of the food stylists we worked with for a while, uh, he actually worked at a bakery. He's a, a trained chef, and I kind of reached out to him, and we ended up forming a relationship. He needs to come on site with us a few times. That's awesome. And you talk on your website that food photography is about bringing the narrative of food to life. How do you bring food to life? Yeah, we, we bring food to life by the setting that we put it in. So the props that are around it, the backgrounds, the surfaces that we use, and then also by the other props that we use and lighting, texture, and the amount of depth of field and the shutter speed we have in an image. Uh, and all that kind of comes together to help create that narrative, right? So we're putting food in a place. Even for shooting in the studio, we're trying to make it look like it's at grandma's table or make it look like it's in a baseball field or make it look like uh, it's your Thanksgiving table. Uh, so we're trying to create a mood that helps us sell that imagery because all food imagery and I think all imagery for advertising in general, uh, the goal is to, you know, with food photography makes someone hungry. Uh, with advertising photography, photography in general, our goal is to create an image that's going to drive the consumer to purchase something. So I want to create an emotion within someone through relationships, uh, through imagery to make them buy something. Yeah. And you do a great job with that. There's more than one time I've been on your Instagram. I'm like, where is that? I must go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you've talked about your food photography being more than just taking pictures of food, but also the culture around food from food producers to chefs. Why, why is that important to you? Uh, you know, I, I think relationships are kind of like the most important thing in life in general, right? And then in photography, when you're trying to sell something especially, uh, I think everyone has a specific 
unique relationship when it comes to food. Uh, food is a major part of culture. Like as culture, we eat around a table together, and that's a uniquely human experience of eating in a group together and bonding over food. Uh, I don't think we can take you know food producers, food manufacturers, growers out of that picture. I think they're an important part of it. Uh, we all need to know kind of like where our food comes from, how it gets to our table, and that's important. Uh, you know, we all think about, you know, one of the things I always think about is the first time I had an ice cream cone at the park, and I was looking at that ice cream cone, and the ice cream fell off, right? You feel that devastation. But you also remember, you know, the first time as an adult, you go to the baseball field, you get an ice-cold beer, and you watch the Cubs, right? That's also a very powerful relational moment that everyone has. Uh, so I think, you know, portraying that with food photography and advertising in general is really important. It's bringing that human element into it. So even though we're just photographing food, we still need to have some sort of emotional and relational hook to drive people to buy things. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. You need to have that connection and people do need to know where their food and the source is coming from. Mm -hmm. And on your blog, I was going through your blog and I came across this post about Beard Butler. How do you make mm -hmm. a product like that interesting? Yeah, you know, the Beard Butler, it's just a... Uh... A piece of tissue paper that goes over a sink so that when you're shaving, all your shavings don't go down the sink. They get caught on this piece of tissue. Uh, and kind of the way to do that is to create that emotional connection, right? So how is a guy going to use this? You know, he's going to display it in his bathroom in some way. And I put it on like five or ten different backgrounds with different props. So we put towels around it. We put ramkins. We put, you know, everything that you'd have in your bathroom kind of around this product and kind of had it in the center or kind of offset in the center to kind of draw your attention into it. So it's the lighting. It's the mood recreated. And all that kind of helps to sell a, an otherwise kind of mundane product that, that has really good branding. Yeah, absolutely. And how do products and businesses like this, how do they find you? Uh, a lot of different ways. Uh, so I have a pretty active mailing list. Uh, Chris and I have a, a marketing person who does our email for us uh, once a month for kind of like our normal list. And then we have like a new reach out list of about, about 10 to 20 people every week that they reach out to. So that's one source. Uh, I also... You know, I have a pretty big network on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, uh, and I'm always kind of following up with people. I've probably done it with you. You know, I, I might send, you know, I send everyone a message like, you know, I have a list, uh, and I go through that list of about 1,500 people, and I try and do, you know, get through everyone at least like once every two years, year and a half, uh, and I just send people messages. I'm like, hey, Lucretia, it's been a year since we talked last. Just want to check in, see how you're doing, see what you're up to, uh, see if you know anyone that could use some commercial photography. Uh, and I have that same conversation hundreds and hundreds of times. You know, I try and reach out to like five to ten different people every day. Uh, so that's really a huge source. And oftentimes it's not the person that I reach out to directly that will end up contacting me. They'll share my information with someone else. And that friend's like, oh, you know, I have a company that creates beard oil, and I'd love to have some beard oil photography. Uh, so that's one way. You know, I'm always posting on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, just to kind of stay top of mind. Uh, I like to do a lot of networking, so I'm always kind of talking to someone. If I have a day off, I'm always going to be on the phone. Uh, so calling up people that I do know, people I don't know, uh, and trying to figure out kind of where that next gig's coming from. Uh, you know, for me, it's always been kind of, you know, I'm going to go out, I'm going to shoot some pictures, and I'm going to start showing it to people. So uh, I think that showing it to people is kind of like the important part is, you know, showing people my work and what I do and kind of advocating for myself, my clients, uh, we get more clients that way. Uh, you know, there's a lot of agencies and production companies in town that recommend me as well. Uh, a lot of people come through my website. Uh, my website gets something like 1,500 hits a day. So a lot of traffic comes through my website. Uh, I have a lot of my work on Pinterest too, and that has backlinks to my website. So a lot of it comes back to my website as well. But uh, word of mouth is probably like the biggest thing that brings me work. So it sounds like you really work hard to care about people and nurture relationships. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, that's definitely that's... fair to say. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I think working with that relationship is always kind of like the most important thing, right? If, if we do good work for other people, I think they're going to tell other people about it. So... Every time we do something well for someone, they're going to share that info out. I think that speaks a lot about your character. 
And I find photographers who teach are selfless. And I think this also reflects on your character. <laughs> because especially in a collegiate level, like what made you want to start sharing your knowledge and teach at NASI College of Art? Yeah, so uh, I got connected with NOSI through my friend Michael Hutzel. Uh, he's the chief creative officer of a company called Fox Fuel, and Michael and I have been friends for well over a decade now. Um, probably about seven or eight years ago, he had me go, go out to his art directing class, uh, and I gave like a little lecture, listened to like what he is talking to about his students, and I shot some stuff with his students. Uh, and then, you know, I kinda, that kind of got me thinking about doing it. And then probably about a year, year and a half later, uh, the guy that was the director of photography at NOSI at the time reached out. We were kind of loose acquaintances. We had worked on a job together. He's also friends with Hutzel. And he's like, hey, man, you know, I'd love to have you teach at NOSI. And I was like, yeah, you know, let me, let me think about it. Uh, thought about it for a little while. I was like, you know, is it worth it? Is it worth the time? Is it worth the, the, the expense? Because uh, uh, it doesn't pay well. Uh, and I ultimately came to the conclusion that I, I thought I'd really enjoy it. So uh, kind of he connected me to the dean at NOSI, and then we kind of got their bullet rolling. Uh, and then by the time I started at NOSI, uh, the guy that introduced me to the NOSI program had left, and uh, Tom Stanford from the, from the Tennessean was there. And uh, that was awesome because I've known Tom for forever. We met in 2007 when I started freelancing for the Tennessean. So that was really cool seeing him show up. So someone that's been like a friend and a client for the last, you know, at the time is like 13 years. Uh, that was really cool to have him show up. Uh, and that gave me a lot of confidence in the program, and it kind of helped engage me more because I, I knew someone who was already there, uh, and that was really cool. And, uh, you know, I also got to work with some other professors that I find amazing. So, you know, uh, I get to work with Sandy Campbell a lot, and I kind of grew up, not grew up, but kind of came up in the photography world with Sandy. Uh, Sandy's a good bit older than me, but he does some f fantastic photography. I started out assisting him at one point. And then uh, we both went to Saks Fifth Avenue together. I kind of helped him get in. He helped me get in at Saks. So that was awesome to be able to work with him. And then some of my, one of my mentors from the Tennessean, John Partipello, was there. So that was really cool, getting to work alongside side him. Uh, and then, you know, teaching is just something that I really enjoy. I get to share my knowledge with other people who are trying to do this thing that I love. Uh, and I'm really passionate about it. So, uh, you know, I have opinions. Uh, and, I, you know, I let them know the way I do things and the way I think things should be done. Uh, and I think that's really cool. Uh, and I get a lot of out of teaching, right? So it's not solely like a selfless endeavor. Uh, I think whenever I teach something, I get to think about it in a new way. So the way you process something to teach it kind of distills it into your brain a little bit differently so that you, you know it better. Uh, you know, I knew a lot of the concepts and the philosophies that I was teaching before I taught it. But now I know it on a much deeper level than I knew it before. And I always encourage my students to do that, that too. I'm like, hey, you know, you guys have just been on set learning a lot about food photography. Go home, tell this to your roommate. Uh, and it just makes them think about it again in a different way to explain it. Uh, and I think that's super valuable. And I, I think it's great working with, with our students because uh, they have new takes on things, new perspectives. And I learn from them kind of as much as they're learning from me. Uh, you know, I think it helps me kind of stay fresh that I'm getting to see, you know, 18 to 21 year old kids, as well as, you know, at NOSI we have a lot of older students that are ex-military. Uh, you know, those students that are like 40 to 60 who are fresh out of the military, that's always a new learning experience for me too, to work with them. So it's something I, I really enjoy. I, I think I get out of it as much as I give. That's amazing. And what is it like to watch a student who may be struggling with creating their image and then they get it? What's that moment like for you? Oh, yeah, that, that, that spark when they get it is awesome. You know, I always feel amazing when I see them, like, actually start to get it. Uh, and some students get it really fast, and some students take a long time to get it. Uh, but it's always really enjoyable. Uh, one of my students just got a job, uh, and he's going to teach, uh, or not teach, he's going to be the university photographer uh, at a school now. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool, because, you know, I've watched him. He did really well in my class post-graduation the last year. He's done really well marketing himself and networking, and now I'm seeing him go off and get a full-time creative job. And that's, you know, that's the best, you know, it's like, I had a little bit of influence on him and he learned a little bit from me, but he learned from so many other people and it's awesome seeing it kind of click and now he has a job and he's doing it. So, yeah. That has to be so rewarding to see like that process that you just explained of learning from yourself and other teachers. And then they get mm -hmm. to come to you and be like, dude, I have a, I have a photography job. Yeah. It's awesome.
<laughs> That's awesome. And you've worked for yourself for quite some time. What do you love about working for yourself? Because it's not it's not easy. I mean, you just listed off a bunch of things just for marketing. That's, that's not accounting for the accounting you have to do, the business, the shoots, the customer relations. So what is it that you enjoy? You know, I, I like being able to work for myself. I can kind of set my schedule. I get to decide who I work for, who I don't work for. Uh, I get to get a nerd out about what market I want to be in. Uh, and, you know, I just like working for myself. You know, I spent three years at Saks Fifth Avenue, and it was an amazing time. I enjoyed the people. I enjoyed the learning experience. Uh, but there's a lot more freedom when I get to do work for myself. I, you know, and I enjoy kind of working for myself a lot better. Uh, you know, I don't have anyone else to kind of tell me, hey, you have to do it this way. You can't do that. Uh, you know, and it's great that I have a business partner that I can kind of bounce ideas off of and we can kind of work together. You know, it's, you know, it's still having my own company, but having someone else to kind of bounce ideas off of, work together, create new things with is uh, a great experience. Uh, you know, and yeah, there's a lot of stuff to do, but I found that, like with a team, it's a lot better. Uh, so, you know, I have people that do accounting, I have a CPA, I have someone doing bookkeeping, we have a marketing partner, uh, we have assistants, we have, you know, makeup artists, we have set stylists, product stylists, food stylists, uh, and, you know, and being able to kind of work together with all those people to create really cool stuff that I like creating, that's just a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And with all the hard work that you've put in over the years, why do you think you have been able to be so successful with photography? Yeah, you know, I always say that a lot of it's luck, right? So uh, I do a lot of preparation to get lucky. Uh, so it's all about that networking and relationships. The more relationships I get to build with people who are doing similar things that I think are cool, uh, I think the more successful I'm going to be. So as long as I kind of keep my keep looking out there, looking for other people who are doing other cool, creative things, uh, I think I'm going to continue to be successful. And, you know, I think we kind of pivot and remove with the market and we see where things are going. Uh, and, I, you know, I think success just kind of comes down to kind of putting the work in. Uh, you know, I tell my students that it's all like the Nike motto of just do it. Uh, you know, I have a lot of students who not, aren't necessarily super successful who tell me all the time about what they're going to do, but they don't do it. I always tell them just do it, all right? You don't have to tell me about what you're going to do. You just do it, you know. Uh, a lot of times, you know, I go out and I create new work for marketing. So I'm like, oh, you know, I've identified a new market that we want to be part of. And I could just talk about wanting to do it or I can go out and actually do it, right? So I have to just do the work, put my nose to the grindstone, and then show people what we came out with. Uh, I think that's kind of what makes me successful. I don't just talk about doing something. I go out there, I do it, and then I show it to people. Is that what you mean? You have a post on your Instagram that says, speak less and do more. Exactly, yeah. That's... Uh, you know, I don't need to hear you talking about it, right? I don't care if you're going to go out and do something if you don't do it, right? You have to put up or shut up. Uh, if you're not creating some cool content for, for you to share with other people, then what, kind of what's the point of doing? Uh, yeah, you know, I have, I have students tell me all the time, oh, Nick, you know, I didn't get to it this week. I just didn't have time. My dog was sick. My mom was sick. My cat was sick. I had to go to the hospital. You know, ultimately, you know, awesome, you, you know, whatever. You know, you could have had all these things happen, but you also have to prioritize some time for yourself to create what you need to make this a successful business. Uh, you know, and I will say that sometimes that definitely does come at a cost, right? Like, you know, there have been multiple times where my wife has not been happy with me because, you know, I decided that, you know, I needed to create more work in my studio or go out and do a shoot or work on a weekend or get up at 4 a.m. or be up till 3 a.m. Uh, to get it done. And, you know, sometimes that's just kind of the cost of, you know, doing what you love is you have to make some sacrifices. And, you know, a lot of times they're hard sacrifices to make. You know, uh, you know, I might miss something that my daughter has to do occasionally. And I try and be as, at, you know, absolutely as many of them as possible. But sometimes, you know, I'm not going to get to go to my daughter's horse riding lesson, you know, or sometimes I'm not going to get to go to a choir performance. But it's kind of prioritizing and kind of fitting it in. Uh, that, you know, we have to get out and create something cool so that we can share it with people uh, and kind of tell people about it, right? So I have to kind of balance my time as best as I can. You know, sometimes I am better at it than others. I'm not going to be perfect you know, in business or as a family guy all the time, but I'm going to try to do my best all the time at all of it. Yeah, absolutely. And life happens. And you're right. We, we can't be perfect all the time and meet those perfect expectations 
but you know considering that you're putting relationships first you understand like communication is key and sacrifice has to happen to make make the big picture work mm-hmm. and you've had the opportunity to photograph a collaboration with jack daniels and pearl diver and those images were absolutely outstanding how do opportunities okay. like this find you yeah you know it's just all about the network um uh... I'd sent out an uh, email to Tasting Panel, who puts out the Jack Black book. Uh, probably at the time, it was probably like probably about six years before we ended up doing that shoot. Uh, uh, and you know, I've worked with Tasting Panel a bunch uh, in the past. We still work with them now, but uh, that came from a marketing email sent a long time ago. I didn't get anything back from them right away. It took a few years for them to respond, uh, but they just filed my information away. And then uh, eventually, when they came, had something in Nashville, they uh, reached out. You know, that's like a lot of our shoots. You know, uh, Chris and I both think we have kind of a pretty long sales cycle cycle sometimes. Part of it's because we do like relational marketing, marketing uh, where it's all about kind of the relationship that they're creating. So, you know, we might not get, you know, feedback instantly. It might not be positive instantly. We might get a no right away. But then as we continue to talk to people over months and years, eventually they might have a project that's right for us. And, uh, you know, eventually kind of comes home and we get to shoot something cool. That's awesome. And you do shoot a wide variety of things. How do you prepare for these different photo, sh- photo sessions? Yeah, so that, that kind of all comes down to like the pre-production piece. So every shoot's going to have a pre-production piece. Uh, kind of depending on the shoot, I might produce it, Chris might produce it, or PA Tyler might produce it. Uh, and we have to kind of figure out what the creative direction of it is of the shoot. So whether or not the client's giving that to us or we're creating it on our own. Uh, and then we have to hire the appropriate personnel. So I'm looking for, you know, depending on the shoot, a food stylist, a makeup artist, uh, first assistant, second assistant, digital tech, PA, uh, and whatever other crew might be involved. It kind of depends on the shoot. Sometimes we have a DP working with us. Sometimes we have a grip and a gaffer. Uh, sometimes we have audio guys. It just kind of all depends on the shoot. Uh, but we're going to come up with a plan for that specific shoot. So, you know, I don't know, maybe my client is creating... I don't know, water bottles. Uh, so I'll go online and I'll look for everyone that's created a water bottle and look at the photography that they've done. You know, even if I have a client brief or not, I'm always going to look out what everyone else is doing. So I'd be like, when I get on set or in client meetings, creative briefs, I can be like, oh, well, you know, we saw that X brand was doing this and we thought that was really cool and I think that plays with your idea. And they can say, oh, yeah, that's awesome or that's horrible, Nick, just go to the brief. I don't really care either way. Uh, but I'm always going to look at the competition, see what they're doing, see how we can either mimic it improve it do it better or uh just say oh everyone else sucks at it and we're going to create our own thing uh, so i'm always going to look at what that competition piece is doing just so just so i'm informed you know it might be something that we we use a good idea or we might take away that there's nothing valuable there at all uh, but i'm always going to look at other people's stuff might create a mood board uh, and then I'm always going to kind of set the general creative tone for the shoot so i'm going to kind of tell my first assistant i'm going to tell the food stylist hey you know, we're looking to do this. We're looking for it to look this way. So, you, you know, we could say, hey, we're looking for it to be like it's in a high-end restaurant. We're looking for it to be like, I don't know, it's at grandma's kitchen table. We're looking to be really clean or kind of messy. And I'm going to kind of set that creative tone of, you know, you know, telling my lighting tech, Daniel, hey, we want really hard light with a little bit of soft fill. Or maybe we just want everything to be really soft or we want it to be moody. Uh, I'm going to kind of tell those guys kind of the mood that I want for the shoot, kind of the general general vibe uh and everyone's going to kind of leap into action so before the shoot you know if we're doing food probably two weeks before they'll start buying props and getting backgrounds and that sort of thing uh and then a couple days before the shoot they'll go out and buy our food uh, they might pre-prep some of the food they might not kind of depending on what we're doing uh kind of day of they'll start kind of actually prepping the food getting it ready uh on set we'll have all the backgrounds we'll have all the props everything that we need our lighting tech will start lighting uh, and then I'll kind of set the camera, computer up, and we'll kind of get going. So that's kind of like the whole pre-production process condensed really tightly for you. Yeah. Wow. No wonder you work with such an, an elaborate team. There's a lot of moving parts. <laughs> <laughs> and your food yeah, imagery you know, is... And a- that team's kind of important because, you know, I, I can't yeah. do it all on my own. You know, I, it, you know, it's up to having that team to make sure that we get a really nice looking product. 
Yeah, because you have so much going on. You're talking about props. I would have never even thought about the importance of props. And you're talking about, you know, the different lighting aspects that get into your technical strength and this and that. And when does the food have to start getting prepared? Like all these things that when you look at a picture of a steak, you're just like, oh, that looks delicious. When there was hours, if not weeks of planning. No, oh, yeah, and it, yeah, especially if with like, you know, if we're doing stuff from a restaurant, it's making sure we have that right food from the restaurant, or if it's packaging, making sure we have the right food from the, the, the factory, and we have, you know, all the individual components that are going to go into this piece of frozen food that we're going to remake on set. Uh, and a lot of times it's a complicated process, so we have to get recipes, and then the way it's supposed to look, and then kind of compare it back and forth. Uh, so it's definitely a more complicated process than a lot of people think it is. Yeah. And are they cooking like on set sometimes or are they like cooking in their own kitchens and then bringing the food to you all? It, it kind of depends. Uh, most of the time they're going to cook things on set. Things that take a long time to cook where either they might be kind of par baked at home, might be fully baked and then they top them at, on the studio uh, or you shoot them at the end of the day. Uh, but, you know, everything is going to be prepped fresh uh, on set to some degree. A lot of times we won't cook something all the way necessarily. You know, if we're doing like a Thanksgiving turkey, there's never going to be a Thanksgiving turkey on set that was cooked uh, until it reached uh, 165 degrees. It's just not going to happen. We don't have that type of time. So we'll kind of par-bake it, and then we'll, you know, use like a a, a roaster and kind of, you know, brand the skin up a little bit. But uh, we're not going to spend, you know, the six hours it takes to cook a turkey. Uh, we're going to find ways around it to make it look good. Yeah. And between the bourbon that you photograph and the cupcakes and the steaks and different things, do you, I can't help but ask, but do you get to eat the food and drink the drinks that you photograph? Uh, most of the time, no. Uh, a lot of times <laughs> things are not food safe after they've been on set. So they're not food safe for a number of reasons. Uh, we try and keep things as real as possible. But even if it's just like a hamburger, you know, most of the time if your hamburger is going to be on set for a few minutes, it's, gravity is going to pay its toll and things are going to sink down, Right. So to prevent that from happening, a lot of times we might put like T-pins in the burger and that gives the burger something to kind of grip onto so it stays up in a nice, good-looking position. Uh, a lot of times if we're using something like, say, if we're shooting pancakes uh, and we're selling those pancakes and we're not selling our syrup, we might use motor oil instead. We might have coated those pancakes with, uh, you know, something to help it repel the water. Uh, you know, there's a lot of tricks to it. Uh, so, you know, we do it all to, you know, advertising standards. You know, there's certain laws, truth and advertising laws that we can't break. So we're very mindful of that. But we also have to make the food look as good as possible. Uh, so a lot of times, you know, it's not going to be food safe, you know. And also, you know, if something's been sitting around on set for, you know, even 30 minutes, uh, it might have had a bunch of people's hands on it. And uh, you probably don't want to eat it. Uh, occasionally, and a lot of times, you know, we'll prepare extras of things. So, you know, we might have one hero steak, but we cooked six other steaks and, you know, two of them might be okay to eat. Uh, but I'd say the vast majority of it does kind of get thrown out. It's just not safe for human consumption. I, I wouldn't want to eat it. <laughs> so it's almost like a theatrical production. Like you're creating an optical illusion to appeal to the audience, but it's just like almost like smoke and mirrors. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a little bit of smoke and mirrors. You know, it's as real as it possibly can be. It's kind of like Disney, right? There's some magic, and you don't want to see behind the curtain necessarily. We want to have an illusion of sorts. Yeah. That's awesome. And you also do headshots. And I I noticed on your website that, you you know, when you talked about your, your headshots and, and that service, that you also listed or you state that you have a list of hair and makeup artists. And I think that goes mm -hmm. back to you knowing that it's important to have a team. Can you just kind of help advise and explain why working with a hair and makeup artist for headshots is so important? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, most people don't have perfect skin. I don't have perfect skin. I don't know anyone that does have perfect skin. So if we can hide some of those flaws and blemishes, uh, it makes people a lot more confident, right? If you give people, like, the glam treatment uh, – and they have someone hyping them up. You know, I use Sharita Leslie a lot for uh, hair and makeup, and she's a great hype woman. Uh, and, you know, if, if you have Sharita hyping people up while she's doing their hair and makeup, you get them in a good mood, you get them feeling good, you get them looking better than they look on the average day. So they're in a good mood when they start their pictures. And I think that whole thing is kind of key. You know, if you get people looking like they're the, the rock stars or on the page of Rolling Stone or something, uh, they're in a very good mood when you actually finally take their photo. 
uh, and I think that pays a lot of dividends. You know, uh, just having that crew there, even if they're doing like really light grooming work, uh, even if you know just you know basic foundation on a guy, I think that pays a lot of dividends. Uh, and I always find that you know people who who do go with hair and makeup end up being much happier with their headshot than people who don't. Uh, you know, if they see something wrong, a lot of times they're like, oh, I didn't have a hair and makeup artist, and it looked look terrible. But if you do have that in place, uh, people are a lot happier with it. Uh, I think it's a good production value, you know. Uh, I'm, one, I'm one of those people that I like really good production value, so I think having a team helps build that production value. So if, if it looks like we're doing something real, something really cool, uh, we get more buy-in for the people that we're doing it from. Uh, and, and I think it helps create a better final product that way. Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to headshots, you're representing your company, your brand, the, your baby. You know, you know how hard you work for your business. And I appreciated when I saw, you know, that text on your website emphasizing, like, we're going to work with a hair and makeup artist. Mm-hmm. It makes a big difference. And you've been getting more and more into video. What is the appeal of video that's causing this transition? Yeah, you know, I think it's a, a change in the marketplace. And I think kind of we have to change with the marketplace. Uh, I think Chris probably threw these numbers out when you guys did a podcast with him. But, you know, I think probably about 40% of our business is video, but it's about 60% of our revenue. Uh, and I think that video is just getting bigger and bigger. Uh, so it's something that I enjoy working with. We get to tell a different story than we get to tell with stills. Uh, we get to tell a more complete story. You can kind of start at the beginning of a process and work all the way through to the end, which I think is is unique and something we don't get to do with stills. You know, we don't have that moving picture aspect, and I think that's cool uh, with videos that we have that moving picture. We can tell a different story. Uh, you know, with stills, you have to tell it very succinctly, like like you have to kind of beat people over the head with what we're doing. And in, in video, we don't have to do that quite so much. So. Uh, it's a different type of story, and it's fun to play with. Uh, we get to work with a different team of people. You know, I'm always about the teamwork thing, uh, and I think video definitely requires teamwork. Uh, and you know, I think it's a little bit can be can be at least a little bit more lucrative as well. You know, if we're working with bigger teams to create bigger productions uh, that are going to be sold different places, you know, you know, selling something for broadcast media, there's going to be a lot more buy-in than uh, just for a tiddly web ad or something. So uh, I think. Uh, video gives us a lot more creative opportunities than we have with just stills. Um, and I think kind of understanding video has been really important for me individually and for, for actor media as a team. Yeah, absolutely. And you've partnered with Chris D'Amico. And as you mentioned, we have him on as a guest on our podcast. And you've partnered with him for quite some time. Clearly, there's respect there. And But I think beyond mm -hmm. that, what is it that you enjoy about working with him? Uh, you know, Chris is just an awesome guy. He's a, a lot of fun to hang out with, a lot of fun to kind of bounce ideas off of. Uh, and, you know, I always say that kind of just do it thing. Uh, and, you know, Chris and I kind of together as a team can kind of just go out and create something. Uh, and he's a great, especially if we're doing photo and video, we can figure out how to make it work as a team together, which is great. I found a lot of times when I was working with other DPs, it wasn't so great. Uh, and Chris and I have a great mentality to make it happen. Uh, and, you know, he's a great businessman. He's kind of like me where he's really relationship-minded. Uh, so we're, we're always trying to create the best relationship with our clients that we can so we can help them get the creative products that they need. Uh, you know, and Chris is a great sales guy, uh, something that, you know, I'm a good sales guy. Chris is a great sales guy. You know, I come up with a lot of, a lot of our marketing ideas. Chris does the actual creative pitch. Uh, I think he's very personable, uh, and he's great to have on set, you know, I love that, you know, working with Chris, I get to have the, the client on set. You know, I get to do all the creative a lot of the time. And Chris can be there to work, you know, together with the client, make sure we're getting what they're getting, and also kind of keep them off to the side a little bit, out of my hair, so I can get the <laughs> shots and he can entertain them. Uh, yeah. And I think that works really well. So uh, Chris is just a great guy to work with. Uh, I think we're like-minded. We both like to do a lot of outreach. You know, I think a lot of photographers just kind of sit back and wait for work to come in, and Chris and I are both uh, very much trying to go out and get the work. Uh, so having someone else that's kind of aligned that way. Uh, and I think we both want to have a business that's bigger than we are individually. Uh, and I think that's really important. So, you know, if we have something bigger than ourselves, it also gives us some freedom to be able to say, you know, I'm going to take a vacation for, for two weeks. And I know someone can be back there holding up the fort, which is nice. Uh, and it can create more opportunities for other people. Uh, so, you know, as we create a bigger company, we can hire more folks. We can hire more freelancers. 
uh, and it just gives more opportunity for everyone, I think. Yeah, that's awesome. And you're right. I think there's a misunderstanding that people believe I just create good work. Someone will find me. And that is not the case. You have to put in the work of the outreach and to have a partner like Chris and you both can bounce the energy off one another. That has to be really exciting to wake up and know that you're basically going to work with your best friend. Oh, yeah, it's, it's great. You know, uh, you know, Chris and I have been working together off and on for like we first met in 2009. We first did like a partnership in like 2013 or something. Uh, and, you know, it's been great. Uh, it's really nice to have someone else in the business who I can definitely bounce ideas off of that we can kind of figure things out together with uh, and have someone uh, that can pick up some of the slack when I need them to. Uh, and then I do the same for him, right? It's, it's a two-way street. You know, he'll definitely be like, oh, I'm going to Italy for, for a month and I'll pick up all the slack that he left behind. And he does that when I go somewhere as well. And I, I think that's a great thing to have. Absolutely. And you two have recently developed a new company together, Reactor Media. What was that conversation like for you to realize this was the path you both wanted to take? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things we kind of talked about for a while is, you know, we had a, a previous company, Seamless Matters. It did pretty well. We had a few extra business partners. We kind of got rid of those guys in this new iteration. Uh, and I think it's just kind of a time to do it. We've been kind of informally working together again for a long time. Uh, and to formalize it was a really important thing. Uh, so, you know, I don't think it's a hard conversation. I think it's just kind of like one of those realizations. Oh, yeah, it's, it's time to kind of create this formal agreement again. Uh, and I, I'm excited about it. That's that's awesome. That's fantastic. And what kind of goals do you have for yourself, like personally or professionally for this year? Uh, you know, I have a lot of goals out there. Uh, you know, I'm one of those people, you know, I don't really like to share my goals. I know it kind of sounds weird, but I feel like the more I talk about them, the less I do them, right? That's kind of that put up or shut up thing. You know, I want to yeah. show the people the work that I put out versus really talking a lot about it. I know it sounds silly, but for me, that's the way that I find that it works best. If I start sharing my goals, I'm not going to do it because I get that validation from doing it by talking about it, right? So if I, if I tell people about my goals, it's kind of like I've already done them. Yeah. Uh, so I like to kind of keep those kind of secret until uh, it, the product's actually out there in the world. And be like, oh, for the last six months, I worked on this. Uh, so I don't like to kind of like put it out there. Speak less and do more. Yep. <laughs> if there's someone out there who's wanting to get into photography or maybe they're just struggling to grow their business, what advice would you have for them? Uh, you know, the biggest piece of advice is it's all about the relationships, right? So go out there, do some networking, authentically engage with people. Uh, if you can't authentically engage with people, you need to kind of figure out how. Uh, so that's kind of my biggest thing is, you know, get out there, talk to people, figure out what you want to do, how you can convey that to other people in terms that they understand. Uh, if you just kind of talk about things really esoterically, people aren't going to understand it. So you have to figure out your elevator pitch, if you will, uh, and be able to give it in a way that makes sense. You know, I, I, I've heard a lot of elevator pitches, especially from like students when they're putting books together, and they sound really elevator pitchy. But if you can form it into something that's really relational and you can figure out how the, your creative work helps someone else grow their business, uh, I think that's kind of the important thing, so, right? Is we tell people kind of the sales pitch, right? You have to be able to say, you know, here's what we do. Here's how we do it for you. Here's what you get out of it. Here's what I get out of it. Uh, so I think that whole relational aspect is key, right? The more people you know, the more people that can hire you. Uh, so I think that's kind of like the biggest piece of advice. That and kind of just go out and do it, right? So people spend a lot of time talking about what they're going to do, and I think they get the validation from talking about it, and they don't do it. So spend your time doing it, not consuming media, but creating something, and then tell people about it. Uh, and I think for a lot of businesses, that's like a huge hurdle, right? People like talk about it forever, and they're like, oh, it's going to be perfect, and I have to do it this way, and it's going to be perfect, and they get kind of paralyzed by trying to perfect it. And you just need to go out there and do it and then put it out in the world and see what comes home. Excellent advice. Perfect. And if someone wants to find out more about you, check out your work, where can they find you? Uh, it's nickbumgarnerphotography.com for my personal website, reactormedia.io for the Reactor website. And I am at bumgarnerphoto on Instagram and Twitter and pretty much every other social media. Excellent. We'll get all that information in the show notes. I know you're crazy busy, especially with this new partnership and new business. So I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely.
that's it with Nick. I appreciate his approach on not telling people what he's working on, but showing them. Clearly, it's an effective strategy that has brought him to great success. Next week, we talk with Deanna Zerwanka Lamont, a certified intuitive energy healer and wellness guide. It was more building relationships and trust with my clients. And so then you're, you get to see a different side of business people than you would just, you know, either walking into their business or seeing them on the street. So that was a huge benefit right. of being in a small town because everybody yeah. wants to, you know, uh, support one another at the core, you know, is there competition, of course. But um, I think overall, it was an it was a great experience. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Journey to the Rise. Please do follow us on your podcast app so you have the latest episode downloaded. If you want to follow us on Instagram, our account is at Journey to the Rise Podcast. This episode is researched, produced, and edited by Girl Boss Productions. And please remember to be kind to yourself. When you are kind to you, it is easier to be kind to others. I'm Lucretia, and you've been listening to Journey to the Rise. 